Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now Hello again, and welcome to episode 49 of the Cheers to Comics podcast. I'm your host, Brian Wayne, and this week I will be raising my glass to all of the comics that came out on the 25th of September 2019, as well as touching on relevant talking points in the world of comic books. So, with all that being said, full disclosure, I got a potty mouth, so for all you virgin-eared people out there, see I kept it clean for a second, uh, <laughs> be prepared. And this is also an overview-based po- podcast, so therefore there will be spoilers. Uh, I don't spoil everything, but uh, I do. the The point of this podcast is to give you an idea of what's actually happening in the comic. So uh, that's that's all been disclosed. Now, before I get started, I would like to thank our sponsor, WestCoastGeek.com. WestCoastGeek.com is this thing that I discovered not too long ago, and <laughs> this this is awesome. This, this site has everything comic book related, nerd related, apparel, statues, pops, even comics. Go figure. Uh, this, this, I love this place. The, the site's amazing, and uh, the, these, these prices are pretty, pretty hard to beat. So, uh, it actually gets better, because by listening to this podcast, and supporting this podcast, when you go to shop, and buy your nerd stuff, as you normally would, and you go to westcoastgeek.com, as you're checking out, you're gonna type in the code cheers to comics at checkout. You're gonna save yourself twenty percent off the bulk of your order, so that's uh, that's pretty badass. They're the, I I can't stress how <laughs> how awesome their inventory is, and they just continue to grow and grow and grow. So, go to westcoastgeek.com at checkout. Cheers to comics. or cheers to comics, and save yourself twenty percent on something that you would normally be buying anyways. So, let's get on. With the news, We're, Batman Day has come and passed, and uh, not a lot of people didn't know when they were going to announce this new Batman creator, new creative team. And but everyone knows that there was they're not going to just completely cancel Batman after King left. I don't need to do the back history on Tom King and why he's not doing it anymore. The fact is, is that James Tinian and Tony S. Daniel are taking over. And, you know, I've got mixed feelings about it personally. This isn't an opinion-based podcast for the most part, but uh, I feel like this could go either way. I know that Tinian has, I think, over 220-plus 
bat family stories he's written from you know detective comics and all this other stuff i love what he's doing with the batman teenage mutant ninja turtles crossovers and stuff so if that's the type of writing that we get out of it awesome i'm just a personally i'm i'm afraid that we're going to get a really dense dense batman type of story where it's all wordy and i just think it'd be kind of a a, a shock to a lot of people where you go from tom king's not a whole lot of words people complaining that they feel like they're getting ripped off because there's not enough words in it <laughs> or whatever reason people have to complain about Titanian, who is known to be rather wordy that doesn't mean it's bad by any means it's just sometimes it's it's a lot to take in uh thankfully you know the bat family history is pretty known to a good portion of comic readers so yeah I, I don't know i I'm, I'm happy for it for sure i'm glad they didn't choose someone like rob leefield or something like that to take over <laughs> would that be something uh but uh yeah congratulations to james tinian the fourth tony s daniel you are now f even more a part of batman history i have been Curious about the cancellation announcement of Iron Man, Tony Stark Iron Man. And I was more curious, I mean, I was curious to the sense that we were getting uh, solicitations for this Iron Man 2020 thing. And then they announced the cancellation of Tony Stark Iron Man. And I thought, well, shit, I thought we were building up to something big. No, that Iron Man 2020 thing is still happening. Uh, there's not a whole lot of details on it, but it sounds like in 2020, the world, the Iron Man, everything is about to be uh, a big, a big focal point of the Marvel storytelling universe. And for that, as an extreme Iron Man fan, I am incredibly excited. Even if it is still Dan Slott and Jim Zub writing it, I'm not mad at that because I find that Tony Stark Iron Man, that between the two of them, they're hitting their stride together. I'm liking the pacing of the storytelling. Uh, yeah, no, I, I'm loving everything about it. So I am relieved personally. So this is kind of a correction, and all, but also it is still a piece of news as well because it has been confirmed that Iron Man 2020, whatever that event may contain, is still happening. Birds of Prey. So there supposedly was going to be a Birds of, Play, Birds of Prey relaunch, um, and it was going to happen around the, the time of the movie launch, which is still going to happen, supposedly. I heard there, there was a new trailer that happened as well, but that's, that's movies. Um, the fact is, is that it was pushed back, but it's actually going to be resolicited as Black Label, because for one, it is outside of continuity. But beyond that, you know, uh, DC wants to make sure that the wrong, uh, the, the youngsters aren't picking it up without having a warning label on it, a proper warning label on it, because apparently this, this thing gets kind of gritty and dark and dirty, so I'm all about it. It's Brian Azzarello writing it, and, uh, I can't remember her first name, but Lupicina, Lupicino uh illustrating so I, I'm, I'm excited about it birds of prey i've loved so i wouldn't say loved everything i've at least liked everything there have been a couple of exceptions but as far as the uh, the black label goes i've i've been digging the shit out of it i'm excited to see what harleen comes out with and that's the that's the new shit happening soon last little bit of news to touch on before we get into the overviews is tom taylor news he's my uh he's he's 
how how mo- the the world perceives Keanu Reeves as just this golden boy child and can do no wrong and he's so great. That's how I perceive Tom Taylor. I just think he's the most perfect thing in the world. So uh, anytime he's up in the news, you know I'm talking about it. It has been announced. He has confirmed uh, that he is taking relaunching Suicide Squad, and that's that's fucking incredible. I love that so much. It's gonna happen on December twelfth. He uh, he and Bruno Redondo is gonna be penciling. He is, however, very uh, vocal about the fact that there will be new characters brought into this universe, and they've given, you know, sketches and uh, redondo drafts, if you will, of these characters. Their names I can't remember. I'm not, at this point, I'm not, it's, what, three months away? So, (laughs) I'm... I'm not going to, yeah, burden you with that knowledge yet. Not until it's completely relevant at that time. But, yeah, no, it's... I'm excited, very much so. I love Tom Taylor, as I've stated already. And Suicide Squad is something that I feel like has never really been done proper. To the point where it's had an ongoing title long enough to, yeah, mean anything. So, I'm excited. That's the news. Let's get on with the overviews. We're going to start out with indies, like I tend to do. And we're going to start out with Middle West. Middle West number 11. This is Scotty Young, Jorge Corona, and Jean-Francois Buelo, covered by Jorge Corona. Abel, he's back out of the, the winter woods. He's tired of his granddaddy, and he's fucking pissed. You know, this, this kid, he's, yeah. He's on a, a bit of a temper tantrum, which is not something he should be on on account of you know, he gets all windy and whatnot, but he's met by Fox at the end of the woods, and Fox is, you know, he's happy to see him, but Abel, he could really give a fuck less, so they're they're going through the woods, it's a very awkward uh, chemistry between them now, Fox is trying real hard to be a friend, Abel's ignoring it, they get into this town, what are they, um, what town is it, Uh, Piper City, they get into Piper City, which is a known town to be full of fuckery, they get in there, and Abel and Fox split. They finally say, you know what, I've had it with your shit, I'm tired of your attitude, blah 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 uh, Not long after Abel splits from Fox, Abel gets kidnapped. He gets tossed in this van, and he realizes he's in there with a bunch of other kids. One of these kids, he's a bully. Uh, his name's Theo, and uh, Abel being all, you know, fucking badass as he is in his own head right now, he sees the CEO kid bullying another kid, and he just goes up and he beats his ass. He doesn't gotta get all windy or anything. He just, yeah, whoops that ass. And uh, he ends up in this unknown place, and he realizes he's getting, he's gonna be put to work along with these other kids. The, there's this big man in charge, and no one really knows who it is yet. Uh, but he also reunites with Bobby. Remember Ratchet and Bobby? Uh, we know that she took off, and apparently she didn't make it very far without getting captured either. So uh, Fox is a lot more valuable than uh, one may realize at this point. I, I'm, I'm sure Abel realizes at this point. At least he better. But Fox does actually hear Abel's cries for help when the, the truck's speeding out of town. And he, he does go after him. So that's that's where we leave off in Middle West. Uh, it's... Uh, man, I, I'm, I'm glad that they're not slowing down at all on this story. They just keep building up and building up and giving us more storyline. And this is clearly uh, in the run for an ongoing, or at least, I would say, at least 30 issues. So 
Hang on tight, man. Middle West is fucking awesome. This next book here is my most anticipated book of the week, and uh, <laughs> it's finally here. I get to talk about it. Napoleon Dynamite number one, Carlos Guzman Verdugo, and Alejandro Verdugo, Jorge Monolongo on the colors, and Sarah Richard did the cover A. So, Napoleon and friends, uh, Napoleon's a senior now. And uh, it starts out, Napoleon, he's in there with his counselor, and not that this part necessarily matters, other than the fact that they're very much reminding you that this is a Napoleon Dynamite story. Uh, the counselor's saying, well, graduation's coming up, what do you feel like you're doing? What are you going to be doing when you get out? And he's, he, Napoleon goes on to explain this crazy uh, type of career move, and it comes down to really he's just a cryptozoologist, and that's the study of like Bigfoot and Loch Ness Monster and shit like that. So, right off the bat, you know, we get our Ligers, <laughs> our Liger Napoleon. Really, the main focus around this story is the fact that there's someone out there to want to dethrone Pedro as uh, student body president. Uh, uh, she demands a recount for whatever reason, and because it's within six months of election, apparently, you're able to do that, so they recount, and you know, Pedro does win, but when they find out, you know, when they recount the balance, they realize there's like 70-some more votes here than there are students, so at this point, Pedro has been voted out for impeachment. Uh, it's, <laughs> that, that's the gist of the story. Uh, this is some, there's so many cool little twists and Napoleonisms, if you will, that are going on throughout this. Napoleon's still trying to be a karate master, but he's going through a new uh, instructor now, uh, Brock Montana, and his ace combat system. And we, the, there's r rumors of Uncle Rico being a murderer, potentially. So... Yeah, <laughs> this is shit to get excited about. Very much a Napoleon Dynamite story. The art is incredible, and I'm, I, I feel at home with this. I do. I feel like this is proper Napoleon Dynamite. Next up, we've got Once in Future, number two, Kieran Gillen and Dan Mora, covered by Dan Mora. Uh, this book took me by surprise. I caught on last minute on issue number one, and... It, like like I said, it surprised me. It very much intrigued me. Issue number two drove it home. I am 1,000% on board with this book now. So we've got Duncan and his grandma. Grandma is a former hunter of uh, just... I imagine her as a, 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 a gentleman of an extraordinary league. <laughs> Does that make sense? From the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. She's just a badass is kind of how I... Yeah, she hunts all types of crazy shit. Well, now she realizes that King Arthur's scabbard has been dug up, and if all of these things come together properly, Arthur's going to be uh, resurrected, and we don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. So she's pretty much forced her grandson Duncan to tag along with, and they sneak into the little place where they find the people, Attempting to resurrect King Arthur, and that very much that that happens. King Arthur is resurrected, and the first time you see him, he's all fleshy and everything. And by the end of it, he's pretty, or he's yeah, fully developed, or at least developed enough. And oh, it's so fucking badass. He's 
well, once he's uh, resurrected, the, the the purpose of all these people trying to resurrect him is they're trying to become his servants. And he realizes these people, they come from the descent of Anglo-Saxons, and Anglo-Saxons were responsible for the fall of Arthur, and so he just slaughters them, except for the one lady that's leading this whole thing, Elaine. And, uh, he, you know, she's not an Anglo-Saxon, and she offers up her services to him. And essentially names her his Merlin, because he can't find his Merlin. Well, uh, Granny, I don't remember her name, I'm just going to call her Granny until I reestablish her name in my head. And Duncan, they, they, they witness all of this on the sneak, and on their way out, Duncan's dumbass steps on a twig, and... Uh, Arthur's army, which, well, beginning of his army, what he did, which I forgot to mention, is the motherfuckers that he slayed, those Anglo-Saxons, he resurrected them, and now he's, yeah, an undead army, uh, at least a little troop, and they circle Duncan and Gran, and bam, that's, that's how that one leaves off, once again, Fucking awesome. There's, <laughs> I, I don't have enough good things to say about Once in Future. And that's not all. I mean, this is actually something that, it's it's a quick read. It's not very wordy at all. It's very visual. And you get the idea of what's going on through the panels without a whole lot of words and dialogue. It's, it's a beautiful story. And jump on it while it's still early, because this one's going the distance. It was uh, originally scheduled to be a uh, mini, and now it's, it's going continuous. I just spilled beer all over my fucking face. Um, <laughs> uh, Rick and Morty, D&D, part two, number one. I love the Rick and Morty Dungeons and Dragons miniseries when that happened. And when they announced a second one already, I, I mean, I was excited, but at the same time, I was like, oh, too soon, man, too soon. I was afraid that the, you know, it was just going to be repetitive. No, Jim Zub and Troy Little bring a whole new aspect to this whole new realm. Ugh, it's badass. At this point, D&D is extremely mainstream. I mean, you shop on the home shopping network type of thing, and, you know, they're selling these real-life D&D weapons and items and shit like that, and that's what everybody's striving for, at least the majority of the quote-unquote cool kids. Well, Rick notices that this is... I mean, it's cool... The D&D is popular and all, but this is very abnormal. And, I mean, obviously D&D being popular is abnormal, but the magnitude that it's being consumed he finds to be concerning. So he realizes there's some sort of strange virus and or infection that's going on, and he captures Morty, <laughs> captures, and they go off to try to find the origin. And when they do, they, they realize that they, they end up in uh, apparently... Rick's first D&D type of universe, and uh, it's the, 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 the name of where they are, it's spelled out Borden, and then there's a bunch of letters scribbled out, so it's Borden something. I'm sure at some point in time we'll figure out what it is, unless it's a reference to something in the D&D world or nerd world. Uh, a deep cut that I'm not aware of, but I did all the research I could and have come to the conclusion this is something that's still yet to be explained. Well, the fact is, is uh, <laughs> Rick, he runs into his old first characters. He's got Bardrick, and yes, even Morty makes fun of that, and uh, Wizard Rick or Wizrick? Sorcerick, that's what it is. 
And uh, yeah, at this point, it's 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 Rick and Mortyisms, man. I'm not, I can't go through all of it step by step because I want to leave. I mean, you can't something this good really can't be. Uh, <laughs> I can't describe it in a manner that's going to be worthy of your ears. <laughs> How's that for you? For an excuse? A cop out? Um, no, I lo I love this book. It's ex. It it's on the same level as the first volume, but at the same time, it's a it's a different concept while still maintaining within the D&D &D realm. I think whether you're a Rick and Morty fan or a D&D &D fan, there's no reason not to enjoy it. Uh, that's, that's all I've got for the overviews for indies this week. There were four bangers, that's for sure. The, I, I highly recommend all four of them. Let's get into DC, though. We're going to start out with Batman. Batman number 79. We got some City of Bane interludage happening and really, this is this is gonna be quick. Uh, <laughs> it's it's a bat and the cat reuniting type of thing. Uh, it, spoilers in the end, they end up kissing again. So, but all of this takes place before issue seventy six, I believe, is what they say. Uh, before seventy seven. So yeah, um, this is before. They realize that, you know, or before Alfred gets his neck snapped. So they're going through, and they're bat and catting, trying to get back into shape and all this stuff. Bruce is sporting a pretty uh, 70s mustache, man. And, <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, they're finding each other. They're uh, It's very, no, we can't be, we should be, we can't be, we should be together type of thing going back and forth. It's all the stuff that I hate in a comic book story. But it doesn't mean it's bad. I just don't like these types of love stories at all. So back to the city of Bane, I would imagine, soon. Uh, but yeah, no, that's 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 what's going on. But I will say one thing i got to give credit to. There's this really, really, really cool moment where you realize that it's Bruce that sends Damien in despite uh, Thomas, and Bane, Thomas Wayne and Bane's demands as no Bat family enters Gotham City, otherwise Alfred dies. Uh, Bane, or Alfred, Bruce, Bruce Wayne gets a false signal from Alfred saying he's safe, and he sends Damien in, and yeah, <laughs> so <laughs> backhandedly, Bruce is responsible for the death of Alfred, and this whole time I thought it was Damien being a cocksucker, so <laughs> that was really fucking cool, Very, it made the, the issue uh, redeeming to me. By no means was it a bad story. I know uh, actually right now in the, the Twitter poll as far as book of the week, I believe Batman's winning the DC poll. So a lot of people liked it, obviously. But nevertheless, not mine. But I I know it's going to carry on to something much, much bigger, much bigger. It's just Tom King doing his thing. I, I still like the guy. King, if you're listening, I still have you on the podcast. I promise, buddy. I'm not going to grill you. Uh, Superman number 15. Check it out. Remember how? Maybe you don't remember. How I said, I think it's time for me to drop my Superman titles. Bendis is losing me. This issue pulled me back in. I liked the way it was told. It was easy to grasp for me. It was, Even though it's part two of a story arc, I feel like this is a proper conclusion to the previous story arc. And uh, Brian Michael Bendis, Ivan Reese, and Joe Prado, all up in it. And the Legion of Superheroes from the 31st century, they come down to our time. 
and they're not here to talk to Superman. They actually want John Kent to come to the 31st century with them and be a superhero of the Legion. I don't know how, uh, the proper nomenclature on that one, but that, that's what the fuck's happened. There, there's a lot going on here. A lot of to- uh, touching point, talking points. Touching points? Mm. Uh, Rogalzar, he's now captured and imprisoned. And, we, we, you know, we kind of go over to that for a moment. Uh, Adam Strange shows up, visits Superman to tell him that Jor-El is also detained. And they he, he's been sentenced for his crimes. And they send him off into the time stream. And through the time stream, he ends up on Krypton right before Krypton blows up. So he has to fucking witness all of that again. So he actually sees himself as a young fucker doing his thing. Sending Superman out into Earth and Kansas and whatnot. So, and then it explodes, so he's, <laughs> he dies twice on the same planet in the same day. Fucked up. Um, and then there's Zod. Turns out, Zod is a cool motherfucker. I've always liked Zod. Uh, I, and, and there might be people out there going, oh, you're a sick fucker. No, the only Zod I've read is Bendis's, and I feel like Bendis is more, um, kind of anti-heroed Zod. And this, I feel like this issue really solidified my, my beliefs in that manner. Uh, Zod, he, he's formed this reparations program, actually. And he's formed a truce with Superman. And he's attempting to create this new Krypton outpost program. And yeah, he's, he's going to try to slowly redevelop a a, uh, a Krypton again, starting with an outpost, and yeah, it's also going to be the program to which he kind of does his payback service type of thing. So his own type of community service. He's essentially sentenced himself for all of his horrible crimes to community service, but it's cool. I dig it. <laughs> but what was John's answer to? joining the Legion of Superheroes. We'll find out next time on Dragon Ball Z. After he talks to Damien and gets his opinion about maybe doing a Super Sons thing instead. We'll find out. Uh, Carrying on... Nightwing. Nightwing number 64. Ah, Dan Jurgens, Ronan Cliquette, and Nick Filardi. Covered by Bruno... Redondo. Hey, he was in the news. So, uh, despite what what I'm feeling the, the internet majority says, and just because it's the internet majority doesn't necessarily mean it is the majority, it's just the internet's louder. I know a lot of people are hating on this run, but I feel like it's just getting better and better and better, and I've never really disliked it. I like Team, team No Dick. And <laughs> Sorry, that just popped into my head. Team No Dick it is. Uh, or the Nightwings. Or Team Nightwings. Or you get the idea. It's not Dick Grayson anymore. But, uh, so we pick up right where we left off. This Cobb feller. He's at B's bar trying to get information on Rick. And during all that, we, we know that all these blackouts have been occurring. When a blackout happens, we get all these mobs and raids and shit, and Bees Bar gets raided during that. Well, as this mob breaks through the windows while Cobb is there, he goes into a phone booth real quick and flies out as Talon, which we all knew he's Talon. And he comes in and he whoops all that fucking ass. He whoops all that ass. But we know that he, you know, he's got B now. 
while all that's going down, Rick is taking the very, very stabbed up, bleeding out Zach, another Team Nightwing member, to the ER. And they meet up with his sister, Colleen. Uh, Zach's sister, Colleen, along with Sapienza, and Colleen pretty much says, I'm going to stay here with Zach, my brother, who's probably going to die. You go get Talon, please. So as they're going out and trying to attempt, you know, or attempting to try to find Talon, they, uh, uh, all, all, all these blackout mobsters and shit are blackout, they're not blackout mobsters, but mobbers, looters. They're they just they're they're becoming quite the hindrance, and uh, they 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 slow them down. But they do get through and they track down Talon. But the first thing they see when before they get to Talon is B all tied up, and then Talon pops up out of the shadows and he gives this very very uh, cryptic sentence, and he says, "I'm here to bring you into the hold, my son." Now, I don't know if he means my son in the literal sense or what, but very uh, it seems like Talon wants to team up with Rick because he's he's aware of his forgetfulness possibly. I don't know. That's that's left to speculation. But I'm digging it. I dig it. I I think Talon has been exactly what this story needed. To, to get people excited again. So if you have fallen off, take my word for it. It's it's bloody. It's violent. The, I, 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 I wouldn't be surprised if motherfuckers die. Uh, I, I, I have a lot of respect for this book. I do. I yeah. Nightwing, number 64 was the book. Let's do more DC. Justice League, number 32. We've got our... Uh, Doom, ju- Justice, Doom War, Doom Justice War, you, you get it, Scott Snyder, James Tenney in the fourth, and Howard Porter, along with Hi-Fi, Francis Manpool did the cover. So, Luther and his Legion of Doom, they approach the final shard, they're getting closer to the edge of the universe to find the, uh, recruit the Anti-Monitor. The only one to perpetuate kids that haven't joined good <laughs> uh, but throughout this, we're, we're you know the, the Justice League have split up. So keep in mind, there's going to be uh, half have gone to the future, half have gone to the past. So they're going back and forth as far as uh, uh, the the timelines go. So the first thing we see is in in the past, it's uh, Flash and Green Lantern predominantly going on, and Sinestro is controlling all of these kamikaze bombers and shit. And we got it's Pearl Harbor. Is that's that's the part of the past they're at. So, you know, they're still trying to be heroes and all that shit while also, you know, uh, fulfilling their part of the mission, which is to track down Starman's super salty cosmic... Oh, wait, I, those were... Hold on. Super cosmic rod. Nope, that's not it either. Starman's cosmic rod. <laughs> Sorry, I'm reading my notes from a distance. I don't know where super salty cosmic rod came from. <laughs> <laughs> that's what happened. Um, that's not what it is, though. And this is important because it obtains uh, a shard. A shard from the past. This is very much a, uh, an, a time heist scenario. Then we flash over to the future, and in the future, we've got the members of the Justice League, like Wonder Woman and Batman and Superman, and they're face-to-face with the Justice Legion A. 
and they are this kind of reverse version, futuristic version of the Justice League, and they all look pretty cool. You kind of get a pretty good idea of what you know, the, who's who when they're fighting them, but it's still very different as far as this. Ah, it's cool. It's really cool. But uh, they they realize that the psychic attacks aren't working on them, and that's kind of their whole thing is, oh, we gotta attack them with psychic shit, because Brainiac has a hold on all of them. Well, for whatever reason, Wonder Woman's Last of the Truth on Our Man is able to break Brainiac, or Brainiac's bond from him, and she's able to use Our Man to release the bond from everyone else, and then through a bit of dialogue, they everybody teams up for the greater good. And it's revealed somehow, uh, through words, <laughs> Starman has actually hid this energy source in our man and uh, Brainiac shows up because Brainiac knows everything but it's not just Brainiac it's Brainiac 1 million so that that arc or like I said there's three different time frames going on here we get the Brainiac or the uh, Lex Luthor Perpetua seeking anti-monitor arc the past Pearl Harbor Green Lantern Flash arc and then the future Justice Legion A plus Justice League versus Brainiac 1 million arc. Well, as we go back over to the Lex Perpetua thing, they approach the Anti-Monitor. They find the Anti-Monitor, oh fuck. But the thing is, is when they find him, Perpetua says, oh my son, let's fuck shit up. Uh, behind our Anti-Monitor is our Starman and... Uh, hot girl and the, the the justice leaguers the recruited the deputized justice leaguers that stayed in the present to be able to protect the portals so that the the other justice league the a team justice league can split up and blah 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 so <laughs> yeah it's oh man good this is good shit i do I, i'm really digging the justice do more quite a bit uh dc four out of four this week man uh, well Three out of four, I guess, because I wasn't super stoked on Batman. Three and a half out of four. I'm not gonna completely discount it because I, I, there, that reveal of Damien and <laughs> being Batman's command really did make me go, holy fuck, dude, that's deep. So, yeah, no, I, I, I can't completely discredit it. I just, I'm just biased because I want Tom King to kill off Catwoman. Uh, let's move on to Marvel overviews. Now, we're going to start out with a very popular title at this point. Absolute Carnage. Number three. And this is not a this is not a tie-in. This is a the the, the actual story. The the bulk of the, the meat of the story. Donnie Cates, Ryan Stegman, JP Mayer, and Frank Martin, covered by Stegman Mayer and Martin. Uh, we know that Miles has been turned by Carnage, and right off the bat we get the Eddie Venom vs. Miles Carnage-ish symbiote fight. And it goes on for a second, it's badass, it really is, but um, after a second, Eddie pretty much just kind of Team Rocket punches him into the distance. And yeah, but he's immediately faced with uh, Norman now, who is also symbiotized, if you will, and Eddie, he's still very reluctant to kill, you know, he doesn't want to kill, 
But Venom, the symbiote itself, reaches out and it stabs Norman without Eddie's command. And that's kind of where we get this realization that maybe Venom isn't fully on board with Eddie at this point. He's just taking whatever he can get because he's, yeah, there's a lot of questions to be answered for sure. Uh, but Eddie, he does end up getting Scorpion to safety because Scorpion was a part of this whole fiasco with Miles. He has had his back broken and part of his spine's been ripped out or, or attempted to get ripped out. So he's completely paralyzed. Eddie gets Scorpion to safety and that point of safe safety happens to be, uh, the maker's lair. When he opens up, he sees Spider-Man, Wolverine, Captain America, the thing, and Bruce Banner waiting at the door with Machine Man, or not Machine Man, my bad. The Maker is what I mean to say, not Machine Man. The Maker's machine to um, extract the codices so that anyone that has ever been in contact with the symbiote can have that extracted and will no longer become a target. But if you're reading Venom at all, you know that the Maker, he's on some other shit right now. That's That's not part of this story. Uh, it's Bruce Banner running this machine now, and he's done the tests, and uh, little Normie, he's he's codex-free, and it's all, all a go at this point. It's Let's just get all these heroes going through this thing. Let's do this. Let's work it out. And uh, conveniently enough, Spider-Man and Venom decide to stay back for last because great storytelling right and i don't mean that sarcastically i mean it 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 does make sense for them to be the last ones to go through but at the same time if they were to go through it now i think the absolute or in the beginning <laughs> and carnage not have spider-man and venom as a target at all it would just fucking kill the story so it makes sense to do it that way as well but nevertheless people are going through and as they're in this uh, uh, maker's lair, they realize that there's one of the... Uh, I think it's Bruce. Uh, who is it? Well, there, there's, there's a clone going on. And they realize that the person they think they're talking to is actually Carnage himself. He's infiltra infiltrated the lair. My bad for not remembering who. But... Hey, it gives you all the more reason to want to go and read it for yourself, right? That person wasn't who he says he was. I guess it would make sense for it to be Bruce, because I was wondering, how is Bruce in here when he's out immortal hulking and shit, trying to essentially being a bad guy, if you will, or leading up to becoming a bad guy in that whole storyline? Different story, though. Um, the fact is, is that Carnage is in this motherfucker right now, and in this motherfucker with a bunch of motherfuckers, that are all targets, and <laughs> this shit's dope, but guess what, guess what, oh no, I take that back, it's not Bruce, <laughs> this is the most important part of the story, it's obviously not Bruce, um, because it's very much touched on in the fact that Bruce is the only one in the room that has never actually been in contact with a symbiote, well, when Carnage shows his face, and it's time for fisticuffs to get throne venom's going toe to toe and still refuses to fucking throw a fatal bro bro blow <laughs> a blow bro uh and venom recognizes this and you know what that little alien son of a bitch jumps ship 
and I'll give you one solid fucking guess on who he decides to bond with. It decides to bond with. You're absolutely correct. Uh, yeah, fucking Bruce Banner. Because Carnage or Banner up until this point has never been bonded, Carnage sees. Bruce Banner is no threat at all, so he throws his little stabby motion through him and carries on with a little chuckle. But you know what? Hulk smash, motherfucker, and we are Hulk smash. And that's how that ends. Uh, dude. <laughs> so good. And it's still driving me nuts as to who the. who was not who they say they was. Ah, sorry. The grammar was terrible there. The beers are working. Um. Yeah, absolute carnage. Highly recommended. Carrying on to another massively important book in the world of Marvel continuity and storytelling, House of X number 5. Admittedly, up until this point, I've been more on the fence, or I've been on the fence with this book, but more leaning towards meh, up until this issue. Jonathan Hickman... Pepe Larraz and Marte Garcia made everything I wasn't understanding up until now and not comprehending completely make sense. Ugh. And what it is, is this: the majority of this issue is explaining the, the resurrection prog- process and how mutants are, you know, seen in... Uh, Ten or you know your ten thousand and all of that stuff throughout this timeline of mutant history that Hickman's been telling, and it comes down to the fact that there are five vital key omega level mutants that are responsible for the five step process of resurrecting mutant kind, and these. Uh, so I'm gonna break it down. Uh, but from mutant and their powers, and then you'll get an idea of how this all works. So we're going to start out with Gold Balls. And Gold Balls has officially become the most, uh, well, probably fair to say top five most important mutants and mutant history from here on out. Those balls, those weird balls that he's able to produce, turns out they're eggs. And you see where this is going from here? You see how a resurrection progress process could possibly be sprung so yes starts out gold balls he produces these these husks these eggs and then kevin mctaggart aka protus comes in and he has the ability to warp reality so what he does is he makes a non-viable husk viable to produce from there they carry on to joshua foley aka elixir and his ability, he's able to kickstart the process of life. So, yeah, uh, step three, give life to the husk. Ava Bell then comes in, a.k.a. Tempest, and she matures the husk to the desired age. So, instead of all of these mutants being born as babies, they're, they're born at the, the optimum level of where they should be, their maturity, and... They're able to still contain all of the... It's, it's so fucking brilliant. Uh, I, I understand now why everybody was like, just hang on, dude. 
It's <laughs> this is Hickman's way. It all makes sense, and then you're gonna be like, "Holy fuck, this is awesome." You're right. You're absolutely right. And I, it's not that I was doubting it. I was doubting it a little. Um, I, I, I don't like all of the great writers, you know, or the the super super hyped up writers. So I was I was worried that Hickman wasn't gonna be my cup of tea. Nah, nah, this this issue <laughs> it really brings in. But that's only step four. Hope Summers, or Hope as she is known as, she pretty much enhances, enhances and synergizes the mutant powers to ensure their success. So she, she's once once the, the mutants are the proper age, she's able to make sure that their powers are also at the level that's perfect. Well. Well, that, we got that five-step process. Then we get Xavier, and what he's doing is he's constantly um, uploading backups of all of these mutant brains. So that's how he's able to download all of these memories and everything into these brains of these very new-to-the-world, just hatched mutants. Mind-blowing, right? So here's the thing. Why can't you know all of the mutants that have ever died be resurrected, you may ask? Well... Uh, time. Time and ability. Uh, it's just, there's not enough out there. Now, there is the potential, and they very much say that there is the potential that at one point in time, yes, uh, Xavier will be, um, able to, to produce at the, the desired rate, but that's a long ways in the future, and that's a big fucking if. So, uh, they, 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 it allows mutants to still remain dead essentially is what that is not all mutants would be able to come back because yeah there's the priorities and whatnot well well after all of that gets explained in its beautiful beautiful manner it is confirmed that krakoa um by the majority vote has been voted as a sovereign state and yes it is recognized at, yeah as as a free state its own rules, its own laws, can't be extradited outside of Krakoa, and blah, 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 blah. However, it wasn't unanimous. There are still non-treaty nations, and they, they give a whole list, and, you know, some of these non-treaty nations, there are several reasons why one didn't come to agreement. You know, like, ones like Russia and North Korea, you know, for obvious reasons. They're not always the most... Uh, handshaky politically type of people <laughs> uh but wakanda is also on that list and you know mutants do uh, the nation of krakoa considers anybody that's a, a non-treaty nation as an automatic potential physical threat so they're leading up i mean they're already setting out the fact that wakanda immediately is an enemy of mutant kind that's that's intriguing as fuck i oh, god damn I'm so glad that this is all making sense to me now. <laughs> if that's not enough, we we get the explanation of why Apocalypse is leading the X-Men in the future. And he he arrives and he has his his moment with Xavier and we get a handshake and Xavier acknowledges and trusts the fact that um now that everything has been established in the way it is uh, Apocalypse is there for the greater good of mutant kind, and uh, he's he's there to work with and for Krakoa. So, eventually, down the road, becomes the leader of the X Men. Uh, uh, you know, according to 
a year 1,000 or 10,000 or whatever. I think it's 1,000. I think it's 1, 10, 110,000 or something like that. You get it. Uh, yeah, I Fully redeemed. I, I, I understand it now. Yes, there was a lot to di digest in the first... And it's not over yet either. There's, there's still one more issue of House and two more issues of Powers of Ten. So, uh, I, I have a feeling that I'm really, really, really going to enjoy talking about the next three issues before the X-Men universe kicks off in full effect with those six series. Let's carry on to the Spider-Man universe. we got Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man number 12, Legacy numbering... 36, Tom Taylor, Pere Perez, uh, Jay Lyston, and Rachel Rosenberg. Alright, so Spider-Man is on his way to this burning ship, and yeah, I know Akbar. it's a trap. Um, yeah, so he gets to the ship, and uh, this Yildre Asrar character is there, and he's actually trying to kill Spider-Man. Well, Spider-Man, uh, he, he, he gets away and fails to kill Spider-Man. Uh, it doesn't look good for him. I mean, the, the, the public believes Spider-Man's dead. He believes Spider-Man's dead. But Spider-Man does get away. And he makes his way to Mary Jane and his family and all that shit. And eventually, you know, the public does realize, okay, he's not dead. But the, this Yildre Asrar character... Uh, he, <laughs> he gets caught by Spider-Man while Spider-Man is posing as a limo driver. This is very much <laughs> friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, you get it? And, hey, buddy, can I borrow your limo? Sure thing, Spider-Man. Have it back by midnight. <laughs> so after he gets a swar in the back of the limo and pretty much says, Look, dude, I'll fucking eat you if you don't give me the answers. <laughs> He's like, you could do that? Yeah, sure, why not? So he completely lies to him. I love it. <laughs> it comes out that it's under York, which is the city under New York, that is responsible for the hit that was put out on him. And the police department has no jurisdiction in this manner, so it's up to Spider-Man and whoever he can get to or recruit to help him take out this under, U or under York plot to kill him. And who does he get to, to team up with them? The motherfucking Fantastic Four. <sighs> Tom Taylor. Gonna write some Fantastic Four stories for us, guys. That's this shit to get excited about. For sure. I'm Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man has taken over. It is officially my favorite Spider-Man title now. And there's a lot to choose from. So, it's, it's so goddamn good. Dead Man Logan, number 11 of 12. That means it's coming to an end, right? Ed Brisson, Brisson, Mike Henderson, and Nolan Woodard, D-Clan Shelby, did the cover. So, Danny and Logan, they are tracking down Sabretooth, who has Bruce Banner Jr. captured. When they, they track him in Hammer Falls. What's Hammer Falls? What's the significance of this town? Why is it called Hammer Falls? Well, um, <laughs> it, it didn't mean anything to me until the end of the book. And foreshadowing for you, Annie? Uh, yes, this is a town that worships the, the wonders and lore that is and was Mjolnir. Keep in mind, this, this is in the Wastelands, a very future, distant, old man universe. So, Mjolnir has been shrined in, uh, what is it, Hammer Falls. So, 
Uh, also in Hammer Falls is the Weapon X facility that they track Sabretooth at. Two? Yeah. Anyways, they get there and they find Bruce all strapped up and they realize it's not Sabretooth behind all this shit. It's Mr. Motherfucking Sinister. And once again... In this Wasteland Stories, a reveal of a character all crippled, old, fat, and disgusting, gross, in a wheelchair. Not that there's anything gross in all that shit about being in a wheelchair. It's just part of the fact of his appearances. He's in a wheelchair representing the fact that he's old and uh, decrepit and unworthy of his legs. Sinister is there, and he's there to clone some Bruce Banner gamma bombs. Mutant gamma bombs. And... <laughs> Yeah, that's a problem for Logan. Logan fucks some shit up and pretty much says, hey, why don't you just take me instead? And, uh, yeah. Well, it looks like Bruce is about to be all fucked up. And Danny. Danny also gets all fucked up and stabbed. But conveniently enough, there's a Mjolnir laying around because they get thrown into the, the little shack where it's being... <laughs> it's a shack... Where it's being kept. That's where she gets tossed through and bicks in to die. Mjolnir makes her way to her hand. Guess what, bitches? She's worthy. And that's where the cliffhanger leaves off. <clears throat> oh, goddamn. Good shit. This, this book has progressed from issue one. Issue one started out... I didn't, I didn't have a whole lot of... You know, I just thought, ah, oh, fuck, this is just gonna be a drag of them trying to get old man Logan into 12 more issues before they take him out of continuity for a little bit. If not forever, they doubt it'll be forever. We know Marvel works, right? Uh, but issue one, it was a banger. And I'll be fucking damned if every single issue, and I'm not exaggerating, every single issue just got better and better and better. And there was something cool. Oh, fuck. I'm not even in issue 12 yet, and I'm talking about it like it's over. Yes, there's still one more to go, and I would imagine... The fact is, is uh, as this series has progressed in badassedness, issue 12 is fixing to be fucking dope. I know it. Take my word for it. Get on it. Alright, more Marvel. Tony Stark Iron Man, number 16. Hey, remember how he's talking about that? Um, yeah, this... this fucking book was badass uh legacy numbering 616 imagine that this is the ultron agenda part one man and machine dan slot jims of valerio schiti and edgar delgado alexander lozano back on that cover so jacosta she is with arno stark in his lab and there's the the whole focus around this is really the, the merging, melding, and uh, unification of man and machine. And that whole concept and uh, conundrum that could be brought about through all of this. It's, uh, <laughs> it's a whole lot of badass in this. Uh, what's going on here is we have an Ultron Pym merge. See, man-machine, you get it. And he wants Jocasta as his wife. Well, Stark... On the other end of things, in his own little area, he's trying to separate this Wonder Man Vision hybrid thing and this machine. He's not—it's not working for him. Uh, he's really just being mocked by this Vision Wonder Man type of thing. 
Well, he ends up saying, fuck this shit. He goes to Uncanny Valley, which happens to be a robo-bar, so... He's fixing to get answers. He's there. He's got Buddy in there all disguised as a robot, but gets outed pretty quickly. And he shows up, and he's got this badass new fucking armor. Ugh, this new armor is so fucking cool. Another reason why I'm glad that um, this series isn't ending and this Iron Man 2020 thing is going to come about, because this armor, I really hope, sticks around. It's it's not quite Hulkbuster, but it's definitely, uh, it's, it's like a wiry, lanky Hulkbuster, in a way. That's how, I, I think that's the best way to describe it. Anyways, while he's in the bar, he gets, he gets his answers from Machine Man, and it's not easily, you know, he's, there's obviously a love-hate relationship between, mostly hate relationship between the two, on account of why Jocasta's in the position she's in to begin with, and, uh, Machine Man's love for Jocasta, and, you know, all of that good stuff, so... They, uh, they track down where Jocasta should be, and that would be in the possession of Sunset Bane and Arno Stark. Well, um, Ultron Pym has already captured Jocasta at this point, and when they arrive, it's only Sunset Bane there. And Tony kind of gives her the little, uh, why'd you doozy, well that wasn't a thing, <laughs> why'd you do it type, <laughs> uh, why'd you team up with my shitty brother talk. And by the way, do you know where he's at? Can I talk to him? She leads him to there. We get our our confrontation between Tony and Arno uh, to learn, you know, this is this is what the fuck happened. Whoopsie doodle. Ultron Pym has uh, Jocasta. They go, they track down Ultron Pym and realize that it's not just Jocasta that has been captured. It is also, well, I don't, they don't realize there. Uh, it is also Janet Van Dyke that has been captured um, by a possessed, if you will, robo-possessed Jarvis through the wishes of Ultron. And he, he wants to merge the two of them. And then fuck that. So we've got Machine Man and his love for Jocasta there. And Tony Stark, who's now banging Janet Van Dyke there. So these two guys show up to find out that their two loves are about to be merged into one and made the queen of Ultron. That's some deep shit, right? Well, uh, throughout a whole bunch of punches and shooting and whatnot, Tony, he's able to get those two ladies free and he kind of makes his way into the little machine on accident himself and he gets merged. But what does he get merged with? Well... Keep in mind, Tony Stark is a man inside of the shell, or a machine shell. So, <laughs> picture that in your head. Yes, Tony Stark is now merged with his suit as a uh, a flesh machine. <laughs> fuck! Holy fuck! Uh, I, it's great. It's great. It's great. Read this arc. Read this arc. It is very, 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 very entertaining. Um, yeah, there is, yeah, there's a couple more. A couple more books to talk about. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. This one will go quick. Guardians of the Galaxy, number nine. Legacy 159. This is Faithless, part three. Donnie Cates, Corey Smith, Victor Olazaba, and David Curiel, covered by Patch Zercher and Dean White. Uh, 
there's not a whole lot to touch on here, really. Uh, Quill, he is millions of years in the future with his dad, who is now the leader, apparently, of the Universal Church of Truth, showing him all of his plan, all these pods, and this is what we're doing, and... Yeah, by the way, I'm about to suck out a good majority of the life forces on Earth because that shit tastes good as fuck and they got plenty there. Well, Quill takes offense to that, punches his daddy in the face, runs away. He still gets captured, though, <laughs> and he is forced to stand in front of the Messiah. Uh, the one that, you know, that, grant, you know, you're a leader of the Universal Church of Truth. You could be Joel Osteen, but you're not God. They're still worshiping someone. Well, you're going to shit yourself when they realize who this Messiah is. Or maybe you won't. I didn't actually shit myself. It was Drax. <laughs> Drax is the Messiah. And it's not just like, you know, the Drax you know. He looks all beefy and badass and godlike. Don't get me wrong. Well, what are the rest of the Guardians doing throughout all this? Well, they're seeking out a very young, 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 young Magus before he becomes a, a shitfucker and kind of says, look, don't do this, and mm, yeah. <laughs> so that's what's happening on the other end. I told you this overview would go quick. It is a very enjoyable read, despite the, the few talking points. It's really three major things that happen. But it's still very entertaining, and it is leading to the end of Donnie Kate's run on Guardians of the Galaxy. So I would imagine it's going to have a huge significance on the Marvel Universe, because that's just the, the reputation that Kate's has now. Last book of the overviews is Spider-Man, number one. This is that J.J. Abrams, Henry Abrams team up that a lot of people have been extremely excited about. Art by Sarah Pacelli and Dave Stewart, which is a badass fucking team in itself. This is a whole different version of Spider-Man, guys. It starts out our, uh, our, our now time, uh, if you will. <laughs> Spider-Man is facing down Cadaverous, who is this new character, apparently, well, uh, not apparently, obviously, but it's it's been said that this character is actually going to mean something, despite this being an alternate universe type of story, or alternate continuity type of story, if you will. So, Spider-Man's fighting Cadaverous, and it's not going well, uh, and Mary Jane's there to, you know, go get him, Tiger. Well, she fucked up and shouldn't have been there because she dies. Cadaverous kills her. And that's, uh, yeah, Cadaverous kills her, gets away before Spider-Man can do whatever it is you do in that situation. Well, we flash over to 12 years later and, well, I mean, we, we, I, I take that back. We, we flash forward a few days to a funeral and it's exposed that, there's a son involved between the two. Little ginger boy taken after Mary Jane's genetics, if you will. Uh, so they touch on that, but then we flash forward to 12 years later, and we realize that the relationship between Peter Parker and his son, uh, Ben, <laughs> get that for a name, uh, it's it's pretty estranged. It's not very close. It's not completely estranged, but there's there's a distance between them. Parker isn't in uh uh yeah the, doesn't have custody of ben uh ma is in charge of that little boy well that little boy is troubled as shit he's getting into fights in school and all this other stuff and 
um, Peter at one point in time, you know, Aunt May, he, she doesn't pick up the phone during a fight, or, you know, while the, the principal's calling home, so he's got to go to the next on the list, and that's Peter. And that's when we learn the dynamic is he's dropping, um, I keep wanting to say Dylan, <laughs> Ben, off at uh, home, if you will. Uh, throughout all of this, uh, Ben, he's having, you know, once he gets home, he's having all these nightmares of his mom and all of this other shit. But when he wakes up, uh, he's on the ceiling and it freaks him the fuck out. He doesn't, he doesn't understand this because he doesn't know that his dad, Peter Parker, was Spider-Man. He doesn't know any of this. Spider-Man is not a thing anymore. He was a was. And that identity is still apparently a secret. And... You know, the, the, the Peter Parker we know now is not the Peter Parker, or we know in this story, is not the Peter Parker we know now by any means. This is very, very, very different for sure. Uh, almost deadbeat dad, kinda. I wouldn't say deadbeat dad, but very distanced and reluctant to want to be around his son. So that the conversation never came up now that, you know, Dylan, or Dylan, God damn it, Ben is, I would say, 15, 16 at this point, right around the time a young spider boy gets his spider powers. And uh, Aunt May, she explains some things. She's like, look, check it out. Uh, it's not completely out of, the out of the ordinary for you to be all up on the ceiling and shit. And she pulls out uh, Peter's old suit. It's a little torn up. It's a little ripped. Seemingly like the cadaverous was his last fight, if you will. Or at least that's what I get out of it. That's the, the, the image that's in my head. And she explains it all and actually <laughs> gives him the suit now that his spider powers are developed. Guys, this book <laughs> took me by surprise. I really figured this is something that was going to be overhyped. I thought, what is a J.J. Abrams and doing in comics, stick to Star Trek, stick to Star Wars, stick to movies. Um, I'm not, uh, I didn't, I don't, <laughs> parting my stumbling of words, I, I am very, very, to this point in time, baffled by how good this book was and the, where it's going to go. Very, very intrigued. I would imagine this is probably only going to be a six-parter, maybe even a three-parter. I don't know. I got to do some research on that, but this is not a one-shot, which I imagined it was. that was all it was going to be good for. The art is brilliant. Pacelli and Stewart, always amazing. Always, always, always amazing. But who would have thought fucking Abrams and Son, J.J. and Henry, killing it on Spider-Man, Marvel's fucking golden book. As if there's not enough Spider-Man titles out there already, but this alternate continuity type of stuff... <sighs> Oh, fucking God, I tell ya. So there were definitely a few books to talk about this week. Um, I'm, I'm happy with all of those. I really am. I'm like, happy and a half. <laughs> uh, but no, I, if, if you were curious, if you were new to comics last week and you looked at the shelf and you thought, fuck, I don't know what to do, and you, you left this store empty-handed, I'm talking to new comic book readers, obviously. Well, I hope this helped just a little bit to kind of give you an idea of what is happening in these these titles. And I try not to discriminate. I try to bounce all over the place. 
if there's stuff on the 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 show that I'm not or that's not on the show that you are reading and for whatever reason you want my version of a discussion on or it's something that you're thinking about jumping on and you you want to know about it firsthand before you drop four or five bucks on a new book I get that hit me up on Twitter at cheers to comics is definitely the best way to get a hold of me um and uh or, or there's you could email me uh the cheers or cheers to comics podcast at gmail uh there's facebook and instagram you it, I, I mean i'm easy to find and reach out to me and say hey could you talk about this a little bit more i'm thinking about getting into this and yeah i want to know what the fuck's happening i would be more than happy to take that leap for you and drop the four or five bucks myself and make that sacrifice and jump onto something. Who knows? Maybe I'll even like <clears throat> Just because I'm not talking about a book doesn't mean I don't necessarily like it. There's just so much to choose from, as you can see here. What do they talk about? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 books right there. But there's more. I bought a whole bunch of other stuff, too. And that leads me into the honorable mentions. This is the stuff that I picked up. And it just didn't necessarily make the overview section. Doesn't mean it was bad. Doesn't mean I didn't like it. Just for whatever reason, I couldn't find the talking points. And I'm not here to waste anybody's time. I would rather you have that time to be out reading comics. So we're going to get right into it with the, the DC Honorable Mention. Yes, only one this week. I picked this one up on a whim, and I just it kind of missed me. Inferior 5. I, I have no idea what any of this stuff is. I really didn't. I know it's. I, I saw Lemire, Jeff Lemire's name on the cover and thought, ah, it's worth a shot. Unfortunately, this is just. I don't know if this is a DC Universe D cut that I'm just completely unfamiliar with, or it's something new that just didn't resonate with me. It's just. It wasn't for me. I, I, I tried an issue one, and they can't all be zingers, as Les Claypool once said. Marvel honorable mentions. We got Black Panther and the Agents of Wakanda number one. This is the Jim Zub title. I didn't expect much out of this going in, and actually, I came out really surprised. The reason why this one didn't make it to the overviews is because there wasn't a whole lot to touch on. It was them kind of describing the place of these individual new agents of Wakanda, led by the Black Panther and. Uh, well, he's he's the guy that put Okoye in charge. So she's really the one in charge. But they're kind of given an idea of, okay, this person's not in this room for this reason. They're out doing this. We're here right now. This is our mission now. They sense this large energy spike. They go to... When they get to that large energy spike, they realize that large energy spike is, in fact... Yes, I even do spoilers on the honorable mentions. Motherfucking Sentry. So... I only expected to pick up issue one of this. Turns out, I am giving this book more of a shot than I thought I would. I love Jim Zub as a writer, obviously. And the only reason why I'm on the fence about this is because I'm, the, 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 the world of Wakanda has never really grabbed me. Um, Black Panther isn't really my type of character, usually. But... Um, I'm I'm still intrigued. I, you know, I I try to give number ones a shot, and because of that blind faith, I Marvel gets more money of mine. Damn you, Marvel! 
Um, a absolute carnage tie-in. I really wanted to not put, or I wanted to discuss all of the absolute carnage event with you guys in as much detail as I could. But you know, it's just they're they're touching more on the fact that uh, carnage's uh, lady is very much still after a misty night and some defenders and stuff like that. It was a fun read. I don't find it to be completely vital or key at this point in time to the Carnage, absolute Carnage story. So that's that's why I didn't throw it into the overviews. Uh, Magnificent Miss Marvel. The reason why this one didn't make the overviews is because I just didn't get around to reading it. Um, Miss <laughs> Marvel is a character that I've never really been fond of. Saladin Ahmed took over and I've enjoyed her. I really have. I, I, it's not something that I can... Because it's a character that I don't really uh, have a whole lot of fascination with, despite the fact that she's now being written in a manner that attracts me, I, um, I do like every couple of issues. I'll, I'll open it up, but because I'm a completionist, I still have to have all of the story in my collection. So, Miss Marvel. Uh, the Indie Honorable Mentions, You Are Obsolete, number one. I actually was uh, <laughs> on Batman Day, Mile High Comics, my local comic book store. Uh, Matthew Clickstein was there doing a signing. So I had him sign my copy. Uh, you Are Obsolete, it's it was a, it's, it's a very cool concept. I, from my understanding, it's, it's already been picked up as a movie deal. And it really feels like this comic was more created to uh, persuade the the movie producers, I guess, to give the green light. I'm not sure. I don't know how that works because the book has, wasn't even out yet. Before. I, I, I don't get it. But uh, Matthew Clickstone is actually a novelist at trade, so this is his first attempt at writing comics. And it, it reads a lot like a movie script for sure. It doesn't read like a typical comic does, and that's not a bad thing by any means. Um, but it was... The reason why it didn't make the uh, overview is because I feel like everything I got of that book, I got in the description. <laughs> so, yeah, that's just read the previous description. That's essentially what happens in that book. That's on previews. From Scout Comics, Crucified number four. Crucified is something that uh, the concept intrigued me very, very, very much. Issue one, I read issue one and I thought... Um, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this one in, in bulk, I think. So I think I'm gonna wait for it to get to six and just do a binge read and see if maybe I can't get a trade negotiations out of it or something. We'll see. Uh, Bloodborne, uh, The Veil Torn Asunder. This one I went in completely blind. Uh, I was told by several people, if you're not on Bloodborne, you don't know what the fuck's up. I like to know what the fuck's up in comics on account I have a comic book podcast. But I also happen to know that this issue 15 is the end of a story arc. So I didn't prioritize it. I, I, I picked it up just in case, you know, issue 16, the beginning of the story arc, when it does come out, uh, is as good as everybody says it is. And I decided to go back issue hunting. I don't have to go and search for 15. So maybe I'll open this up and check it out before 16 happens and see what the fuck's up. Maybe the end of a storyline will make sense to me. I don't know. Um, oh, I guess there was a, another DC slash Vertigo 
honorable mention. The last one of the week is from the Sandman universe. We got Lucifer number 12. I, I This is what I call rainy day reading. It's nothing that, like I said, I prioritize. It's a hard book to kind of give the rundown on because it's so brilliant, brilliantly told. Dan Waters, is he has his own way of telling comic book stories as we've found out in coffin bound if you know that's your first taste of dan waters um but yeah uh it's it's something that i collect on my own i read on my own i'm uh extremely in- ignorant to the sandman universe so any I'm, i i would hate to offend anybody out there if i by coming off ignorant and putting off false information by trying to explain a book that I'm still trying to get to know myself. So that's the honorable mentions, man. That's uh, (laughs) a, there was good stuff for sure. It was a big week in comics, but that's not it. There is still one more book to talk about. One solitary single wall book. This is the stuff I buy specifically for display purposes. House of X number five got money out of me two times this week. I did not think that I would be picking any uh, any variant covers for this run up at all, but it's suited. the the one The first variant cover I pick up happens to be the 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 issue of the run that really captured me. And the one the one variant I picked up is the Serpicelli variant, the Magneto there with the Krakoa plant, and fuck Serpicelli and Dean White killed it on that cover i cannot wait to get that bitch in a mylar and on the wall so that's all the stuff i picked up uh by no means was that all of it there's there's tons of stuff like i said there's stuff you want me to talk about you know where to reach me so we've talked about all the books we've given the rundown let you know what was out there now i like to give my version of praise. Uh, I don't like to consider this my opinion, but I like to give a lot of credit. That's that's the way I look at this. I've come to the. I don't like to give opinion on this podcast, or, or at least as very little as possible. And I've been back and forth with myself. Why do you do a top pick section if you don't want to give your opinion? Well, this is more of a praise. That's how I'm going to flip this. This is my 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 highest regards. My picks of the week are more of a highest highest regard. And that is going to uh, let's start with the cover of the week. And honestly, it's it's going to go to this my my wall book, House of X number five, Serpicelli, Dean White. I've already talked about it. It's amazing, cover of the week for sure. And wall books aren't necessarily the only things that make it. In, I mean, <laughs> into the running for cover of the week, anything could be a cover of the week. It doesn't have to be specifically a wall book to yeah. So well deserved though. My interiors of the week, <laughs> this this goes to absolute carnage, man. Stegman is Marvel's most consistent and best illustrator. You should probably make this uh, shout out more often, but sometimes, you know, other people surprise me. Just because you're the best, the most consistently, or consistently the best, doesn't mean you're the best every week. No, that's what that means. Hmm. You understand what I'm saying. Stegman's worthiness is worthy. <laughs> Absolute carnage on the inside. Visuals, fucking stunning. So, and you get to see, <laughs> we are Hulk. That design is cool. And more of the Miles Morales design as well. Beautiful stuff. 
But my overall book of the week goes to an indie. An indie that, I, like I said, I didn't have a whole... I was intrigued with, but didn't expect much out of. But now that we're through issue two of Once in Future, I am so fucking on board with this. Uh, Gillian and Mora have created gold, and I'm, it is well-deserved to be an ongoing series for sure. So if you could find it, if you can find issue one or and issue two, you're going to need them both. <laughs> Do it. It is my most recommended book of the week by far. So that's it. That's all the content I have for you. I, once again, would like to remind you to head on over to westcoastgeek.com. Seriously, you're not going to regret it. It's awesome stuff. Check out code. Cheers to comics. Save 20%. Good stuff, everybody. And like I said, reach out to me. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. You guys know how to use the internet. And while you're at it, why don't you, you know, rate the podcast. Give us those five stars, reviews, comments, you know, all that good stuff. Wherever you are, uh, wherever you listen to the podcast, there's usually some way to give some sort of feedback in some manner. If it's not a rating system, it's a comment or both. Uh, I I really, really, really do appreciate your feedback. It helps the show grow and it, it helps the recognition to, in turn, help the show grow. So see how that works? Well, all you uh, slurds, as I should now call you from here on out. You like that? Slurds. Slurred nation? Slurred posse? Slurred posse? Hmm. Slurred posse. I like it. All right. I think we have a a new outro tagline. All right, slurred posse. It's been a podcast. You fuckers read responsibly. Cheers. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.